Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So I have the distinct honor of introducing you to our worship series for September. And it's on tithing. Now, before the groans sweep over you, I want you to know that this is not an attempt by us to raise the church income. This is nothing other than God leading us as your worship staff to believe that we would not be good stewards of God's word if we neglected a portion of it. And so we feel that this is a time for us to pay heed to places in Scripture that are clearly dealing with our finances. In fact, we have some slides to show you. 16 out of 38 of all the parables that Jesus preached, almost half are about how to handle money and our material possessions. And the next one. Of all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every ten verses deal with money explicitly. That's over 288 verses. And the Bible contains 500 verses on faith, over 500 on prayer, but over 2,000 on money and our possessions. And unfortunately, we've come to a time in the life of the church where we are afraid to talk about money, especially our own. And we don't like hearing about it, if we're honest. And so when I told my clergy colleagues that I was preaching on tithing for September, they said, you go, you're nuts. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I hear that all the time from them now. You go, she's crazy. And yet, this is precisely what God talks about over and over in Scripture. And we felt that it was time for us to look at tithing from a purely spiritual standpoint. Now, people have used tithing over the course of the church history as a means for jumping off on stewardship. People have used tithings to ridicule, to beat, to judge. We are not going to do any of that. In fact, if you will indulge me over the next four weeks... We're going to explore four different places where Scripture talks about tithing, and I'm going to let it be. I'm going to just simply let it go. Because I believe that sermons do one of three things generally. The first is that God speaks to us in that moment and says to us, I'm talking to you. Yes, you, not the person next to you, but you. And you know that now is the time to act. Sometimes God says this to us in sermons. Sometimes God says it to me as I'm preaching it to you. Sometimes God says, it's time for you to enter into a time of discernment. I need you to go back and read your scripture and pray and consider and be in holy conversation about whether or not this is what's right for you. What is your place in this new thing that I am doing? That's another option. And sometimes God is simply scattering seed. Sometimes when we hear a sermon, God is placing something deep within us that will lay dormant for a long time. And then when the time is right in the due course and God's will, the Holy Spirit will begin to germinate that seed and it will grow and it will bear fruit in our lives. 
So for some of us, this is not even a possibility right now. And we're woefully aware of that. But it is just possible that God is going to plant a seed so that when the day comes and it is possible and needed for us to tithe, that God will allow us to grow into the fullness of that then. So I don't know which one you are. At the end of this, I am not going to demand anybody's tax income statement so that I can tell you what your tithe is. That's not my job. My job is simply to preach to you what God says about tithing and let the rest be between you and God. And so it begins. Now, one of the things I love to hear, I have a list of things I love to hear as a pastor, but one of them I love to hear is tithing isn't in the Bible. What Bible? What Bible is tithing not in? Tithing's in the Bible. And we have gone back to the very first tithe. And what I love about this tithe more than anything else is a twofold truth. The first is that it came from one of the biggest mess-ups in Scripture. Abram's a hot mess. You can quote me on that. Abram has issues, and they don't go away once he's renamed Abraham. I have preached sermons before about his pathological lying tendencies. How many times are you going to pass your wife off as your sister? <laughs> Twice. He brings a plague onto Egypt when Pharaoh takes her, thinking that it's just his sister. He brings a plague on another nation, and the king's entire kingdom is blighted with closed wombs. Nobody can have a baby because Abram decided to lie again. And instead of just saying, you know what, my wife is amazing, but she's my wife, he lies over and over again. And he gets things wrong continuously, right? So God says, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, and you are going to be the father of many nations, many nations. And Abraham says, um, I'm going to have to leave my entire estate to my slave. And God says, no, 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 I'm doing a new thing. You're going to get a son. And Abram goes, okay. And then he decides that he's going to bring that about with Hagar. Big fail. Not working. And God says, no, 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 Abram, I'm going to take care of this. Your wife is going to have a child. And not just Sarah, but Abraham laugh at that. Oh, God, you've got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. Just take Ishmael. He's great. Let's, we've got Ishmael. Let's just work with Ishmael. No, says God. I know what I'm doing, and menopause is nothing for me. Sarah was beyond childbearing years. That's why she laughed. This is hysterical, she says. Okay. And yet, God can do what science and modern medicine cannot. Right? God can do miracles. Miracle. Sarah has a child. And so based upon this entire life of, yay, he made a covenant. Ooh, he blew that one really bad. Yes, he's showing faith. Ooh, what is he doing? <laughs> Abram is constantly messing up. And I appreciate the fact that this big mess up manages to get this right. And he manages to get it right because God doesn't command the first tithe, the first tenth gift. Instead, it's a free will offering. Abram, out of the goodness of his heart and the gratitude that he has for all that he has been blessed with, turns around and whacks off the first top 10% and hands that over to God. Now, you have to realize that that was a big deal for Abram. 
Now, for most of us, I don't care what your income is, whether it's 30000 or 300000 10% is a lot of money. And there's a lot of things that we have to pay for in our lives. Let's just be honest. Forget about the daily cost of living. I mean, there's retirement plans, there's pensions, there's vacations. We're coming up on Christmas, and I only have one kid. Many of you have more. You know how expensive it can be to live. And then you want me to give my first 10%? What is going on here? I thought God came to bless us, not make us bleed financially. And the truth is that Abram shows us that there's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so he was very rich. Did you catch it? He took his private militia, men born in his house, slaves of his own home, and raised them up to be his own private fighting force, 318. And that's just men of fighting age. He's got older men, he's got women of all ages and children in his household, and he takes 318 prime men, and he sets off to right an injustice. Because his nephew Lot, whom he loves and has cared for from the beginning of his mention in Genesis, was taken captive. He and all of his household and his goods have been carted off, and Abram says, I have to do something. I can't just wait and let the kings handle it. I need to respond to the need. So he does. And apparently he's very good at it. You didn't know he was a military leader, did you? He routes them by night and divides his forces. West Point, eat your heart out. That's pretty good. And so he goes and he succeeds. He has a mind for military might. He's already made preparation with his men, having a fighting force on standby. He is ready to go. And he succeeds and he gets everything, all the spoils of war, chases them all the way back to Damascus in the north. Resounding victory. And then as he's coming back with everything that he's taken, he ends up meeting the kings. They're a little late to the show. And they come out, and King Sodom says, this is fabulous. Why don't you let me have a share? You know, we'll split this. I'll take all the slaves, and you can have all the material wealth. You know, the gold and the, and the animals and all of that. You can have all of that. Just give me the slave force. And Abram says, no. No. Let no one be able to take credit for what God has done for me. Now, he could have stand there and stood there and said, I'm the self-made man. I came from nothing, had absolutely no land, no possessions, and I built myself a life. And because I was so forward-thinking and thoughtful, I have done all of this, and I deserve to be compensated for that. He could have said that. In fact, how often do you turn on an award show on the television, and they pay a little bit of lip service to God, right? I'd like to thank God and 700 other people for this Grammy, right? A little bit of a nod to God, and then moving on, here's the guy that produced my record album. Instead, he makes a show of saying, it is all God, all of it. And so when Melchizedek comes out, who is both a king and a priest, a priestly king, does this sound familiar? And he comes out and they start to praise God. He brings bread and wine. This is sounding very familiar, yes? And they enter into worship. And it is at that moment 
that he gives his 10%. Now, whether you look back on his life in Scripture and you see Abraham as a resounding success or a failure, this moment, he got it right. And he did a glorious thing. There's one thing for God to tell you what to do. It's another when a faithful believer shows us and initiates something. You know, all the offerings in Scripture were not commanded first. They were free will. They came out of a desire to give. Cain and Abel gave their first gifts not because God said to, but because they wanted to. And here is Abram giving a tenth of all that he has because he wants to. So I don't believe that tithing is a tax. I don't believe that tithing is something that should be dictated. There are denominations that want to see your W-2. We are not one of them. If you can't give out of gratitude and out of a desire to give, then I don't want anything to do with your offering. I want our offerings to give the kind of glory that Abrams gave. I want our offerings, our tithes and our offerings, to reflect a profound sense of thankfulness. That despite everything going on in the world, we live here. And despite all the circumstances that plague people in every hemisphere, we can gather here and enjoy the fruitfulness of our labors and praise God without fear of retribution. So yes, the fact that he gave freely is vital to the story. And he had cost. You don't move 318 people without incurring a tremendous cost. I used to work at Picatinny Arsenal, and I handled the business contracts, which sounds much more glorious than it is. And I can tell you that just trying to count the zeros at the end, billions of dollars that we spend to do the same thing that Abram did. He didn't do it for free. He didn't do it without incredible debt and incurring costs, and he even acknowledges that in our scripture. He says, I don't want anything other than the food that we needed to sustain this mission. That's it. Pay these other men, but leave me to give my glory. There's tremendous humility and statement in that. And so it is that Abram sets a standard for us. He shows us what it means to give and to entrust it to God. Now, back in the Old Testament, when you brought your offerings, they burned them. They lit them on fire, and they were consumed. Now, we bring our offerings, and we are building the kingdom. We are planting seeds in the hearts and in the minds of others, whether it's 130 children at Vacation Bible Camp, or whether it's people who come in thinking that they're only going to get food and they get a listening ear. They get a hug from somebody that's not repulsed by their poverty. No matter what it is that we do as the church, we do it because God has blessed us and we seek to bless others. And let me tell you, I have been tithing since I was working because I was raised to tithe. My parents used to have the argument all the time, do you pay the bills and then you tithe or do you tithe and pay the bills? And my mother won every time. You tithe, and then we figure it out. And yet they kept having the argument over and over. And so I would listen to this, and 
It was the same argument going round and round. And I figured that when I finally had my own paycheck that I was just going to tithe. And we're talking about our income. We're not talking about the $100 grandma and grandpa give you at Christmas. That's a gift. That's not your income. Win one for the youth. I have this conversation with people too. We're talking about the things that your labor earns. The Bible understands that tithing comes off of your paycheck. Now, back in the biblical times, you didn't get a paycheck. You had a herd of goats. And so it would come out of the first tenth of those goats. Or you had a harvest. And so your first fruits of your harvest, right, that first time that you went through and picked your, your peaches out of your orchard, that would go to God. And here in our modern day, people are still bantering and bickering about whether it's 10% off my gross income or 10% off my net, which I don't understand the bickering of because if it's off my net, then U.S. got the first fruits of my labor. And you know what? Most of the time, I don't mind paying my taxes. Most of the time, I don't mind paying my bills. But there has never been a day that I regret paying my tithe. And mine comes out automatically. I get paid and that tithe comes out. And every time I log into my online banking and I see that money come out, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that I can do it. Because the truth is, there are days that I obliterate what it means to be a disciple. Forget a clergy person. There are days that my words have not just been hurtful, they have been hateful. There are days that my heart isn't in it, my mind is distracted. There are days that I let everything become an obstacle to being a Christian, and I blow it. I ruin what it means to be a saved disciple of Jesus Christ. And then I look at that tithe and I think, I didn't hit rock bottom. I'm one step above rock bottom, but thank you, God, that I managed to get one thing right today. And I'm going to build on that tomorrow. And so sometimes my tithing becomes a foundation upon which I am always welcome to build. My words have torn down the things that I have built. My actions have undermined my heart. There are plenty of times that I am a horrific Christian. Because I sin too. And yet, I can get down on my knees at the end of the day and thank God that I did what I needed to do to show God that despite the ways in which I have betrayed my Lord with my words and my deeds, that something within me recognizes that God is good all the time and has been that way to me. And that I am saying, in the clearest way possible, that I want to be good to others. I'm not kidding when I tell you that there are a million different things I could be doing with that money. I could be putting it toward my pension, my 401, right? I could be building for tomorrow. I could be using it to pay off my sister's medical bills. I could be using it to help other people in the community that need to pay their rent. I could be doing all kinds of benevolent projects with it. I could also be going on vacation. I could be buying more shoes. There's a million things that I could be doing with this money. And yet, every single penny I have ever given since I was 18 has been the best investment I have ever made. And you're talking about someone who has multiple retirement accounts and investments for the future, who has a pension 
and gives over 7% into her pension. But I have watched my stock investments plummet. I'm out of the stock market. I have watched my pension roll and fluctuate. I have watched me lose more than I put in. I have bought shoes that were a tragic purchase. I have gone on vacations that I have come back from and needed a new vacation. I have spent money a million different ways. And yet the one way that I never regret is giving it to honor God. I have never regretted that. And I don't believe that on the day where I stand before my maker, that God is going to open up a balance sheet and show me where I stood and how much I've invested in the kingdom of heaven in a fiscal way. But instead, I believe that my tithing is a sign to God that there are places in my life where I let nothing override my Lord and Savior. Not in my home, not in my heart, not in my finances, not even in my calendar. That everything I do is about trying to be a disciple that Christ will be proud of. That Christ will say, my grace has not been wasted on her. Yes, she made mistakes. Yes, there were some days that even I shook my head. But that all in all, she gets that life is about gratitude. It's about being thankful and living with hope and truth and seeking to be more than we are now. So don't let someone tell you that your offering is who you are as a disciple. But instead, turn how you think about your gifts and think about, do these give glory and honor to God? Is what I'm doing with my life, whether it is making an offering or coming forward to receive communion, are these signs of a heart that has been richly blessed, that recognizes it, and seeks to give God the glory for that. All too often, it's easy to say, oh, that came from somebody else. And yet, here we are as Christians, and we're called to constantly say, God has blessed me. I'm able to stand here and do what I do because God has blessed me. And if God hadn't blessed me, I certainly couldn't be preaching to you right now. I certainly couldn't be here because I would have messed up my life so long ago. I gave it a good shot. I really tried. And yet, my affinity for Abram and Abraham is one that every now and then, he gets it right. And he gets it right in a way that is dramatic. So yeah, he's got pathological lying tendencies. So yeah, he can't seem to figure out which woman should, you know, mother nations, whatever his issue is. But then one day God says to Abraham, I have given you the most precious thing you have ever asked for. I have given you a son by your beloved wife. And he is alive and thriving. And now I want to know, what will you keep from me? Will you give me everything? Or will you withhold something for yourself? And so he tells him to take Isaac, his beloved, and go up on the mountain and give him to me, says God. And Abraham 
doesn't give an excuse. He doesn't argue, and he's got a history of arguing with God. Instead, he takes his son, and they walk up that hill into the mountains, and there he prepares to give God his greatest, most precious possession, his child of the covenant. I will withhold nothing from you. And God says, it's enough. It's enough that your heart is here. God has given us so very much. We are blessed beyond measure. And I have traveled to other countries and I have seen the way their poor live. I have seen the way the world is treating the very same poor that Jesus says should be blessed. And we are people of tremendous blessing. And God is saying, I don't want it all. I just want your gratitude to change the lives of others. It's what I'm asking for from you, that your heart be with me, says the Lord. How many of you would ever deny your own children? If you had it, would you give it? We live and breathe and worship a God who withheld nothing from us. What are we withholding from our Lord? I hope that over the next few weeks that God will scatter many seeds and that we will work our way through Scripture and look at a way in which we can bless in unimaginable ways. That the miracle of the modern church is that there are this many people who are willing to do the work of the kingdom. The miracle of the modern church is that we have been blessed and we seek to bless others. And so whether that blessing is with your time, your presence, your gifts, your service, and yes, indeed, your witness, that ultimately the world will come to know that they are welcome at the table and that Christ himself has been preparing a place for all of us, for all time. May that be the gift that God gives through us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.